and welcome back to the Whale Nerds podcast. This is episode 56, and guess what? The band is back together. Yeah. Eric and Slater, and we have a special guest, Erica, as well, who's going to be joining us in this episode. Hi, Erica. Hi. How the heck are you guys? Good. Coping with whales and dogs and... (laughs) chocolate and weed and, and everything else whoa can you say that on this <laughs> you might not she am i not allowed to be <laughs> i'm just being honest anyway i'm glad to be reuni- reunited with my california friends and now caitlin who's in the northeast with me <laughs> so things are looking up yep erica and i don't live that far apart but um we haven't been able to meet up yet <laughs> Not yet. No, my truck has been ailing. She's getting a new gas tank today, which is like a big old job, but we'll see. Yeah. So coping was a good word to use. Coping. coping was Literally word. coping. I miss you guys. Seriously. Yeah. I miss whales and you guys. <laughs> I miss normal things. Yeah. Taco mm. trucks. For example, or like walking around Santa Cruz or doing anything fun. Like, or, yeah. yeah. Or going to a restaurant. <laughs> True that. Oh, yeah. Are I you know. talking your own cooking yet, Eric? Yeah. And now I have a weird mass tan line from being on the boat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, you do. We talked about yeah. that. <laughs> I think oh my Eric's gosh, is like, you can see the strap on his <laughs> feet. strap right here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, it's not a mass tan line. No, Eric seems like it's a really bad sunglass tan line with the mask. That, oh, now that I look at you better in this light, I really can see it. Can that be our... Do you wear a buff? No, I don't wear a buff because I'm freaking out about the buff, so I'm wearing like a real like mask mask. And, and uh, yeah, I, I looked finally. I was like, No! We can make this Oops. a thumbnail. I should take a picture of my face. <laughs> Wait, so what's wrong with the buff? You just don't feel like it's working? Uh, I don't know. I just feel better with the. Wait, real... do it again, Eric. I'll take a snapshot of it. I'm gonna point at it. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's saved on our Skype chat so everybody can yeah. have it. We can, That's perfect. We can have all the fellow naturalists show off their tan lines. I'm sure someone else has it. Yeah. Uh, well, Eric and I were talking about I had one for a while, but then I did maintenance by myself for a couple days outside, and so then it went away. Good, yeah. But I'm still—it's <laughs> surprisingly still pretty busy here, you know. So I'm working my usual six days a week, and I always yeah. like to be outside. And with Kate's boat, I'm obviously always outside. Yeah. So. Yeah. <coughs> oh, <Bless> Rona. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't think you sneeze if you have COVID. I don't know. Don't listen to us for medical advice, okay? <laughs> no, I have, always have allergies at her parents' house. Oh, that's true. Every time you go to SoCal, you end up with a head cold because you're Yeah, you're so allergic. imagine having one since I've moved back. <laughs> Damn. Got to move back to Monterey again, I guess. Yeah, who knows? Never say never. Um, so let's get into chatting with our guest here, Erica. So you recently returned stateside, but you're on a normal non-COVID year. Your schedule's full of international trips and adventures and all kinds of stuff. It is. And it feels super weird to like have to stay in one place, like for a long, prolonged amount of time. I'm actually like 
finishing up writing my book and there's so many adventures in it, including with the three of you going out in Monterey Bay. And it's so strange. I get like super nostalgic, like writing about all these adventures. And I'm just like, I wish it was the before time and like get all sad, (laughs) sappy. Like I miss it. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, it is a wake up call, obviously. Like we have to all think about like our travel and whether or not it's been responsible. I've definitely contributed like a lot of carbon to the atmosphere by flying to a lot of places, but I've also sailed a lot. So I take that kind of as a counterbalancing point. Yeah, it's weird. But the book has been my main focus now that I have to like stay still and actually just finish it. So it's not the worst. So if you had to like, I was trying to think of like how to write like a basic like job description of like what you do would you call it like science writing or like environmental journalism or like as like day-to-day I call myself a writer artist and wildlife rehabilitator because those are like the three things I mainly do um but a more creative way I think would be like I basically go on adventures find stories and then like come back with photographs and notes and just write about what I've done and seen. I like to think of myself as like a messenger carrying, you know, the word of the wild back to people. And so we can kind of like find ways to treat the environment better and wildlife better. Yeah. And do you, sometimes you have like someone who wants to pick up the story before you go on the adventure, but sometimes you find someone who wants to publish the story along the way or afterwards. Is that kind right. of yeah so I, I pitch stories and then also I, I've been asked to write stories um I had my first piece in the Guardian woo-hoo, uh <laughs> earlier this week which was really really cool okay and they actually they reached out to me and I was like how do they even know I exist but that is really <laughs> nice <laughs> I just like to stay humble and uh keep writing I mean I really I love wildlife as you guys know so to me, it's just like a pleasure to write about all these creatures we share the world with. Yeah. And um, so some of your, explain how, like what your work is with the Carl Safina Center a little bit. Like, do you write for him like on retainer or like, is he just a consistent person that publishes your work or like how, what's the connection like with that? It's a really interesting relationship. So I met Carl when I was still an undergraduate at Stony Brook that's a university on Long Island where I am right now. Um, and I remember he came to give a lecture to like a class I was taking in environmental literature and he asked a question and I remember I was like, I'm gonna be smart and I'm gonna answer it. And I did. And then he was like, why do you believe that? I don't even remember what the question was about, but he like kept probing me like, explain why, explain why. And I just like got really pissed off and I was like getting like a little aggressive, like why the hell are you doing this to me annoying me trying to make me like explain a whole long thing finally like getting to know him over the years since we've like maintained a relationship like he has been really really helpful in developing my voice and like that's why he was asking me why so many times just to to really make me understand what I was saying and believe in what I was saying so that was a super valuable moment I think and yeah so in terms of my work right now um I work as a freelancer for him, um, but I'm considered staff, but I'm also given a small fellowship for the past, I think it was past three years. 
um, to do my reporting specifically on plastic pollution. But the other work I do is a lot of uh, like kind of communication stuff. So I'll communicate the messages of Carl's fellows. He has a, a broad fellowship program with various creative people working in things such as making music out of bug noises and whale noises, <laughs> which is like very enjoyable to listen to. Um, to people writing about like doing more what I do, like writing, uh, like classical kind of art considered painting and stuff like that. So it's just really cool. And it's so inspiring to be surrounded by a network of people like that. And I'm really excited right now is that we're trying to promote a lot more diversity at the center because obviously Carl is white. A lot of our fellows are white and I think it would be really cool to, um, to boost the numbers of, you know, indigenous and people of color. Uh, so we did do a really good job at, um, boosting the number of women in the organization over the past three years. So that's been a little achievement that I think we should also celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be, I mean, I feel like they do some really incredible work, but I think they really would get an even more like broad set of perspectives that are really important if they start to really include, um, people from different groups and backgrounds and, and locations. Like, I've, I don't know if I've had the conversation with you, but I've had it with Jody with like, the indigenous people of California, like are pretty well assimilated at this point. Like there's not like reservations or anything um, right. that like demark, you know, like an obvious like territory for them, like physically, but like obviously they coexist in their own, they exist in their own communities as they choose, but like, you know, especially in California where Carl has one of his big workplaces, like, right. It would be, I think, important to give them some spotlight because I feel like a lot of people walk around day to day in California and they like, don't even think about it, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awareness, it's reach. It's also like honoring, um, the unique artwork created by people of different backgrounds, because it's like, we have a lot of different cultural arts like based in different areas so we can go to like southeast asia and get a totally different interpretation of nature than we would get from like an indigenous person in california so it's really exciting and really fun to kind of grow this organization so that's what we're working on yeah awesome so okay so a lot of the stories that you cover with carl are about microplastics and plastic yes. pollution um is it like land and sea based like stories or is it mostly ocean related like marine debris or? <clears throat> Carl's background is really ocean heavy. And I think that's kind of also led me to kind of focus on the oceans with the, the issue of microplastic. And my book especially is like highly focused on the oceans because I've been super fortunate to go sailing so many times um, with these groups that are looking for plastic in the oceans. Like land plastic, of course, is a huge issue and that's where the problem originates. And I like to like make that super clear to anyone I speak to or write it right for. Um, sorry for the whining dog in the background. She's like wandering <laughs> behind me. Like, let me out. She's fine. We just went for a walk. Um, anyway, so I focus on the oceans just because that's like kind of a place where I think the issue is really um, well illustrated. And it's also this concept, which I'll cover in my book, this is a little teaser, um, but the concept of away and like when we've been told to throw things away because that's the responsible thing to do and often they do not end up actually anywhere that's considered away because they'll end up in the oceans, they'll end up um, back on land. 
Oh, puppy. Hello. Um, <laughs> episode without an interruption from a dog somewhere. There has to be. Sabi's <laughs> going to do it too. I, I can sense it. Um, yes. Yeah, so the oceans are like the biggest garbage receptacle we have, uh, which is extremely sad. And actually a new study just recently came out kind of updating um, our previous estimates. So scientists used to think that 8 million metric tons of plastic would go into the oceans every year, which is like a huge amount of plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're saying that was a huge underestimate. It's more like 20 million metric tons a year. And by 2030, it might be 53 million metric tons of plastic pouring into the oceans every year. And I'm like, what about the whales? What about the fish? What about the sharks? Like, it's so screwed up. And it's um, really unfair to these animals that, like, they have no use for plastic. Maybe some barnacles could, like, make a life off of a plastic bottle. Or, um, you know, a dolphin might find something plastic and think it's cool. Like, who knows what they're thinking? But they're also, like, just being exposed to all of these microplastics that break up off the items um, over time, which are obviously causing huge health problems for these animals. So that's why I like to focus on oceans. It's a whole nother world that we don't even think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Later, unmute yourself, dude. <laughs> I just had some good stuff. You guys missed it. Oh, no. No, you know what I, no, what I was saying is um, living in SoCal versus Monterey, it's like night and day when it comes to how we in Monterey got rid of plastic straws and a lot of the, like it made they forced like reusable cups down in like the farmer's market and all that. And here yeah. there's literally like it's like no such thing. It's like it never was, you know, forced upon anyone. Every really? restaurant is plastic straws. Yeah, I mean, it's Orange County, California. So Okay, yeah. Well, and then also like in the wake of covid like a lot of places have reverted back right yeah claiming it's more sanitary you know when really there's not very much no and actually pizza hut the other day but pizza hut forces you to buy plastic uh like a a full thing of chili instead of giving packets out they don't give that out anymore oh is that why yeah i know i don't know why yeah i'm just saying but why would they go to that versus the the Either yeah. way, it's a waste. But yeah, well, the other ones, you could reuse the the pepper shaker to be honest. But the package was definitely a waste. So I don't know if it's better or worse. It's plastic, so it's guess it's worse. But yeah, it's, but it oh. is it is crazy how everything here is like. It's like it. I just don't get how Starbucks in Monterey like if they if they get one branch to do, why don't they just do it to all branches and you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's another whole like interesting topic to think about like when states or cities start to change their <clears throat> requirements and then the the big corporations that are nationwide chains have to comply with that local ordinance right. but then they may not adapt, uh, just have that conversation about adopting that practice nationwide like i've seen some chains do that where they're like mm-hmm. oh well we've had four different cities this last year pass ordinances where we can't have plastic straws. So as as a chain, we're not going to do plastic. <coughs> we're going to change the style of the cup, or we're going right. to do paper, or whatever. But like, that's not a com- that doesn't seem to be a common thread amongst corporations. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, it's it's a huge money saver to 
like used plastic because it's cheap and like getting replacements are not cheap. So I'm sure it's like something to do with that. Oh yeah. It's always ability to save money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if using paper straws though is adding to like deforestation. Obviously plastic is way worse, but I mean, is that also a thing too? I mean, potentially, I guess I've never tried to chase down the source of the paper. Yeah. Good question. I never thought about that until just now. I mean, I know you can make stuff like that out of bamboo as well, which if it's agriculture. They have bamboo straws on the Newport Legacy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, bamboo seems to be. They are kind of obnoxious, I will say that. You put it in a cocktail and it just, like, shoots back up. (laughs) So they are a little obnoxious. But we have paper straws, but, yeah, we have both. Because you can also make paper products with bamboo, you know, depending on how you want to process it. Right. Bamboo is really quick growing too so it's one more yeah. of a, something that's sustainable yeah i did see a, a goal that we were in the harbor Sorry. and i were out on a boat a couple of days ago by ourselves and um there was a little goal to like ha- it was like grabbing a straw and like lifting it up in the air and dropping it yeah but it then sucks. he ended up letting it be and he took off but he, he was definitely chewing on a straw yeah they don't know it's like you know, unless the well, word gets out among animals. Fla- I guess, I don't know how well goals Flavor! Taste, they, hey, what if I had a little bit of Slurpee left on it? It could be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good like, point. A it's a good point. Yeah. Oh my god, I let her out and now she wants back. Like, oh my my yeah. dog is looking at deer good and point. she's barking at them, so sorry about that. Stop! Deer Wait, where, in are you, yard? where are you yeah. at? I'm on Long Island, New York. <laughs> are you coming in or out? Savvy. A little turkey. You know what is it? Lacey for so Savvy and then starting freaking So out. candid right now. Puppies, relax. <laughs> Jesus. If what? If the two dogs could hear each other and they both start freaking out. Oh, yeah. Lacey, though. Just wandering. Savvy, cut it out. Come here. Come here. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, so as far as, like, plastics and, and the work you've done, um, I mean, you can kind of take this as a segue into some of the sailing cruises you've had the opportunity to go out and do, but is there any other, like, stories that you've collected and, and written that you, I don't know, like, what feels like the most compelling as far as, like, what got the best, how did you reach people the best when telling the story of plastic? Because it's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's a hard topic to to flip around and end up on the optimistic end of like, you know, uplifting people to, to do the right thing and fight the good fight type. Right. It's such a hard topic to do that with. That's a good question. I think my best strategy was like writing about those expeditions and doing it in like a photojournalistic way. So including the images and these compelling, I like, these images of plastic like in your hand that you just scooped out of water in Hawaii and you're just like have a handful of plastic. Um, people have been like, okay, that's really startling. Yeah. But I wrote, this is a funny anecdote. I wrote two stories uh, off of my first trip with Plastic Change. So I've done two expeditions with a Danish group called Plastic Change. We sailed LA to Hawaii and then Hawaii to French Polynesia. That was two different trips. And then I sailed in Iceland and I've sailed um, across the Atlantic, which I'll get to later. But the first expedition, the garbage patch, so LA to Hawaii, insane, totally crazy trip. 
Also, a group of Danish people on a boat with no functioning bathroom. Like, <laughs> nine of us are sharing a bucket to poop oh. in for 24 days. Really nice. Sorry, Slater's eating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talking about poop. I'm sorry. Um, no, but anyway, it was a very rough trip. And, like, uh, the boat was so spare. And, like, things broke. We <laughs> lost our rudder. We lost our engine. We basically limped into Hawaii. It was insane. So I wrote the story. And guess who shared it on Facebook? Leonardo DiCaprio. Did so, really? <laughs> yeah, that That's was awesome. Sci- scientific American. So I was like, okay, badass publication, badass guy shares it. I'm doing well. And I was like 24, and I thought it was so cool. And now <laughs> I would be like, whatever. I have so much more work to do. But it was like a cool thing. So then I started also speaking about my trips, and I thought yeah. it was like a great way to kind of bring the story to people because. You know, not everyone's going to go read stories in Scientific American or, like, uh, you know, be online or in the newspaper, whatever. They, you know, it's not everyone, but not for everyone. So I started speaking about it, traveling. I've given talk as far away as in uh, this weird little place in Italy called Matera. It's, like, a really old city in Italy. And, yeah, so that's how I kind of make my reach and share the word of the ocean. So that's awesome. Yeah, thanks. On the LA to Hawaii, you went across the North Pacific Gyre, and then from Hawaii to French Polynesia. Like, is there? There's another gyre system. <clears throat> that west is of the, Hawaii, right? Yes, that's like the Western North Pacific Gyre. So that's more of like trash from Japan, although it mixes with the Eastern. And so we did get a lot of Japanese trash on the islands. Um, but in Polynesia, we were crossing the equator and there's the equatorial countercurrent. So we were like, okay, what's gonna, what are we gonna see here where this like current that's fueling the gyre is cutting through the middle of the earth? <laughs> it sounds so <laughs> ominous. Um, but yeah, that was also very interesting. There was a lot less plastic on that trip, but now we know kind of it was probably pushing it up. So that was the Pacific Gyre. Was the LA to Hawaii? Was it pretty crazy to see? It was so weird. Like we're like floating through. It wasn't like what people describe have described in the media. And I try to tell everyone this. It's like the problem is not like one floating garbage dump. We do see areas like that, like literal patches of garbage. But that was not what was out there. This was like. A lot of it was just below the surface. Um, a lot of microplastic, much more microplastic than anything else. So it's not what you would envision a garbage patch looking like. It was more like clean blue sea. And then it's like you look down and it's like a bottle, you know, um, some weird things. We saw like fishing crates and light bulbs and like lots of different yeah. random stuff. We found a light bulb um, on Caitlin. Yep. Remember that? Yep. It was from like a squid boat or something. Squid boats, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so lots of crazy stuff. Yep. Or they lose it overboard. Yeah, or yeah, or it breaks off, yeah. Yeah. I remember, so I did like a marine mammal observer cruise from San Diego to Point Conception and back, and like even 400 miles offshore, it's similar to what you described. You go through these zones where you have like crates and buckets and pallets and water bottles, and like, you know, it's like every 30 seconds passing debris. But the water's clear blue, you know, so. It's bizarre. Yeah. 
Did you try to fish the things out, Caitlin, when you were out there? No, we were on a really big ship, like a 300-long ship, but they were doing, um, like, invertebrate plankton toes, and so I'm sure that they were getting debris. Oh, yeah. But um, since we were on observation, and then, like, the only time we got breaks is when they were hauling nets, so we didn't usually go down and look at what they were doing. You guys were taking samples when you were sailing across, right? We did. We took uh, mantatrol samples, so that's kind of like a plankton net size thing. We did get plankton, too. And it was, a, it was a ton of plastic that we got um, getting worse, you know, obviously, as we entered the gyre and then exiting, it was a little bit less. Um, but we have a lot of rough weather, too, like right outside of L.A. And that was really interesting being seasick for like a day and then getting right into the science. So that was it was a challenge. I mean, like also being required to be crew on these ships, like it's not easy work, as all of you know, you know, being on a boat. Um and I was, we had eight hours a day, like that we were required to be on duty. And then one cooking day every four days. So it would like switch the teams. Mm-hmm. And man, first of all, men don't like to cook and it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like the boat mom. And then you're like, can you just at least wash the dishes? And they're just like, mm. and then it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, now you now I have to go and be at the wheel for four hours. And then the person who's supposed to take over for you, they're seasick. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll stay on for like three more hours. <laughs> it's not easy. And then I'm like, okay, I'm the one who also has to have a camera and a notebook and like be smiling and ask people questions when they're like puking overboard. And it's just like a lot of work. So I think if anyone can appreciate my work, they can just know that I put so much effort into it. <laughs> But I hope that they will take the time to take a look at it. Um, no, but I love it. I think, and as, as all of you do too, it's like it's the best place in the world is out there. So, yeah. way better than land. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot less problems out there, and the ones that are out there are much more straightforward to solve most of the time. Yeah, besides plastic, but everything yeah. else, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that comes from here. True that. <laughs> True that. Land, land is the root of all the problems. I actually no, I have we are. two. I have two tattoos. One of them is a fern leaf, and the other one is a wave. And there was this competition that Carl was in a few years ago at the Museum of Natural History in New York City, and it was two teams, land versus sea. And I was always like, arm up with the ocean, and. Land one, it was really shitty. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) but they did, and it was like, no, because the ocean is so much cooler. It really is. But anyway, to each his own or her own or their own. Yeah. Well, I think it's because we focus so much on the ocean that we like, if we focused like deep in the forest or like something, I think we would enjoy that too. It would be cool, but there are. I just love being like like. yeah, true. Fire ants and like you don't have to worry about bugs things. or anything unless you're a catalyst. You, you get bees that land on you. Out in the water? That's crazy. Yeah, You'll be surprised. Yeah, I've had, yeah, bees get me in Baja in the middle of the lagoons. Yeah. What? Yeah. If you have like something sweet or like that smells, I think. I mean, they for sure come because like on the fishing boat, they come over for the squid. Yeah. They right. like surround the bucket of squid. Wow. Yeah. Savages. <laughs> I mean, I mostly when I see butterflies on the ocean, but I know. love that. 
I think that's cool. Or the uh, migrating the warblers or whatever. Warblers. What is it? Yeah, we had tons of them this t- uh, a mm, few days ago. Townsends cool. and all that. Yeah. Land on you, eat some kelp flies, and take off again. Okay, so <laughs> birds and butterflies are good things from land, but <laughs> name something <laughs> else. Okay, dogs. Beer. Dogs. <laughs> tacos. <laughs> Are from land. <laughs> Do you say tacos are tacos. from land? Yeah. But fish tacos, tacos can be from the ocean too. It's a, it's a hybrid. Yeah, it's a hybrid. <laughs> but it's food, you silly. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> oh, anyway. So. Oh, wait. Speaking of fish, I just want to say out on the water, have you ever been hit by a flying fish? Like unexpectedly. Oh, that my is God. Some scary oh, stuff. I, so I've been working, um, driving second operator on a fishing boat. Since I've been back in SoCal, yeah. helping out a little bit because I needed a job again. And um, we literally had just put the boat on anchor at San Clemente Island and a flying fish whacked the side of the, the, no. island, the side of the boat. They hit the boat all the time, but it, like yeah. they just put the anchor down and it hit my friend Conrad um, that I grew up with was <laughs> on the boat. And it literally, he said it hit right next to him and they picked it up and they all were taking pictures with it and then they put it back <laughs> in the water. That's insane. <clears throat> Happens a lot. Flying fish are yeah. everywhere right now. Like yep. it, on the whole, once you get like 15 miles out, like and you're closer to Catalina, anywhere behind Catalina or near Catalina, all the way out is like offshore and towards San Diego. There's flying fish like all over. It's so cool. They take off and then they're just going for like hundreds and hundreds Given. of feet, and then they skip and then they go again. And they keep and up with so the boat cool. too, which is cool oh. sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes yeah, you see the baby ones are about the size of a dragonfly. You look over, like, was that a dragonfly? It's like, no, it's a baby. Uh, I'll try to get a, um, it's a, fish. a video of it. They they, yeah. they scooped up a couple with a net, and they had they had a bunch of baby ones in the oh, cool. t- to look at them, and then they put them away. But yeah, they were like little. I didn't even know they look like yeah, exactly. They look like that one weird uh, what's that like a nudibranch looking thing that like flies, minus a, but a fish. No, what? you know what I'm talking about. That little blue one, right? The little, yeah, little, like little dragon little one. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of like that. Yeah. But no, that's something else. What is the blue one? It's the like common butter- name is like something. Like a butterfly or something. Sea dragon or something weird like that. Oh, I forgot. Ooh. I figured Eric would know. That's funny. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I just, sure I don't know. The... Nerd anymore. It's not a fi- oh. fish. <laughs> oh, it's not? <laughs> you said oh, yeah, it's not a fish. Sea slug. Ah. Yeah, whatever. You're still a nerd. <laughs> I can't even go down there. It's the hemisphere. I was supposed to be in the Galapagos right now, but no. Oh, I got, man. And I got postponed until 2022. What? Not one year, two years I got to wait. Yeah. Wow. Wait, where are you going with? Who are you going with? Galapagos, my sister. Yeah. So. Oh, that would have been so cool. Yeah. I, have I any of you it. ever been? No, I haven't. Me either. I missed out on Tonga this year. I, I the trip was paid for for two two full trips, and I was supposed to be there from like, I think it was August twenty second to September like twenty or September second or tenth or something like that. I forget the dates, but yeah, I saw all the emails. They're like, your flights and hotel and everything has been canceled, and I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, you could. Slater was in Baja when everything started shutting down, so he like had. And to I lost half of that trip too. I was only I was there for like I think nine or 11, nine, ten or eleven days, and then I had to come. I still had like seven or eight more days there, and I, and I had to come home. I remember you calling me. I was like, don't. I was like, Slater, don't come home. <laughs> no, nah, they told us. Yeah. They forced us to come home. Yeah, my Baja trip got canceled. I was supposed to leave right after you, and I was like, oh, guess we're not. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Wait, I only so, recently wait. got back here. 
Erica, so when you were in Iceland, um, how what did you go in the summer or were you there? What time of the year were you there? Ooh, Iceland. I went twice, but the sailing trip I went in. I think it was March, end of March, beginning of April of last year. Oh, so it was so really cold. It was really raw and like so cool. And we were on this yeah. really old schooner, and it was all wooden, and it had a hot tub on the deck. What? Oh my god! So Dude, they're luxurious. cool there, Caitlin. And they had, oh, you guys have to work on these whale watching boats. And I know the woman who works for them. She's so cool. And like, there was a wood burning stove and like nice food and drinks. And I was like, wow, this is the life. But my bunk was leaking, but it really made up for it in every other way. <laughs> like, and also I was with, okay, so I sailed with um, the captain of the Danish ship because he wanted to come with me on this Icelandic trip. And I'm like, Torsten. We were in our own bunk room. We were like the plastic people, like in the front of in the bow. And I'm like, somehow I always have Torsten in the bunk on top of me, and he snores like a train, like so loud. And so I'm like, okay, this is just like home. Like I just I know this. So he's sleeping up there. And then suddenly one night it's like drip, drip, and like the whole like the deck was leaking. And I was just like, oh no, of course I got the leaky bunk. So it was super cold. And then having wet clothes in Iceland. Oof, it is not advisable, but it was so cool. Were you in Do a bathing suit the whole time, though, when you were out on the deck? No, I was just layered up um, because we uh, were going back and forth from land to sea. We were kind of, like, hugging the coast. Um, it's too hot, honestly. So just, yeah. Some they people were. Like, the, whale watch, the whale watch companies give them out there, but, like, most people just tie it around their waist because it's too yeah. hot. Yeah. I like to be agile so i'm like leaping you know around the deck and they're like hold on we went from uh what's it called reykjavik to husavik along the northern coast uh, and then we yeah. went to, to grimsey island which was so cool yeah Grim- that was that's, like that's where all the puffins are at puffins yeah, yeah it was so I, cool i was supposed to go there but the weather it was super foggy on the island and the lady was like honestly it's gonna suck over there so she told me not to go oh man There's... what i said oh man <laughs> yeah. <it's back>. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but if you do want to go with the whale people that I know, please let me know because they're so cool, and their boat is really nice. Oh, yeah, most of the boats getting over nostalgic there are like again. <laughs> big, they're all like oak, big oak boats. Yeah, like just so cool, so so cool. Um, and they, I mean, these groups like so. The one that I went with is called Ocean Missions Iceland. I will plug them here. Um, super professional, really nice people. And they were so upfront with everyone about the idea that like a lot of old school Icelandic folks, like they think of the oceans as a refrigerator and like have just routinely overfished them and, you know, don't really see whales as very interesting, but they're trying to be part of like the changing tide, um, kind of boost the reputation of, uh, marine animals show that they need respect. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, the family I, I went with, I worked with there, they own a whale watch company and they own a fishing company. Actually, they own like the whole town. But wow. like, restaurants and stuff too. But they uh, they told me that Icelandic people don't really eat whale anymore. Like it's usually just tourists that come there that eat it. Oh, yeah. It's a whole gimmick. Wh- which town yeah. were you staying in mostly? Um, I was in Haganes. It's like, it's like north of uh, Akureyri. So, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. It was awesome. Really, very nice. I did not eat whale. I did eat the fermented shark. 
I did too, actually. The Greenland shark. So yeah. I felt so I felt bad. bad. The guy like gave too. it to me, and it was just kind of like, I don't know. I just did it out of respect. I didn't. I wasn't like the, it, the actually the the dad. Um, it's bycatch is why they have it. Okay. And the owner, like, so they 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 fish for cod there, but um, I guess they the people they they don't even do the commercial fishing that gets the bycatch anymore. But the people that do, they don't they don't take care of it. So his dad was the one that would like tie it up because they have to leave it out for like a, a couple months to let all the. Um, what is it, ammonia out of it? Yeah, because it doesn't it have still pores. Stinks or... after that. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it was like a piece of rubber. Like, yeah, it was so weird. But it I is felt, weird. out of respect, I did it. Um, and then I felt guilty right after. <laughs> that was the same situation with me, and like everyone's looking at me, and they're like, "Schnapps, shark," and I'm like, "Okay, that's what I like, did." I, I also at the same time drank some of the like wild schnapps. berry alcohol. <laughs> berry alcohol from the top of the mountain that they said they go up there and pick these berries and then make alcohol with it and then you have to have it because they're offering yeah. it to you i totally get it yeah <laughs> eric did you, adventures. did you stop in iceland too on your trip across the north atlantic yeah i was in Reykjavik, and then i took a tour like down i went towards a, some big glacier and almost to... died yeah oh my gosh <laughs> So why did you almost die because we went up this glacier and then we were like literally in this crazy looking like almost looked like an armored vehicle huge tires and we fell in this hole and almost what? got stuck and then and then we eventually got out and then i went like climbing around on the glacier and it was so windy i stood on the icy part of a glacier and the wind literally started pushing me and i was sliding so my sister wow. has this video of me like getting blown away on the glacier yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you survived. That's I'm like, alive. really yeah. serious. But that's pretty cool. Damn. It was um uh yeah, some big glacier. My sister's got a video of it and it's and then drove some crazy dirt road. I know they do like some crazy world rally thing on and that was it. And then nice. after that I went to yeah, headed to Greenland. So I went to all the cold places. That was September. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think has some of the best vegan food there. It's crazy. Yeah, they're actually. It's like a really. It's a lot of vegan. Um, there's a lot of vegan restaurants in Reykjavik. Have you guys seen food there? What's it called? Down. What is it called? <clears throat> Down to Earth with Zac Efron on Netflix. Margo has been telling me to watch it. I watched no, like I ten seconds it. of it, but then I yeah. So it's like a little mini series. Um, and it's um, it's kind of about like people's relationship with food and diet and water, and they go to these different places around the world. Um, and Iceland is one of them, especially when they talk, it, a lot of it's about water. Mm. Um, and so in Iceland, they kind of cover some of like how like geothermal and cooking and water sources and all that like intersect in Iceland. Um, but they, they go all over the world. And so hearing you guys talk about it, I'm like, man, you guys should watch that episode. <laughs> I'm going to see it. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I have to live vicariously through you guys about your Iceland stories. You That's awesome. while watching there. <laughs> Iceland trip 2021. Yes, please. We I should go. Like, I feel like my passport's useless right now until COVID's over. But that's okay. I'm making it work on the East Coast. Well, we can't okay. even leave the country, right? Not, I mean, not really. <laughs> no, for, not I keep really. seeing all my friends. Dude, one of my friends just got married, and she's in Tahiti, and she just swam with humpbacks. And she's not even, she likes, she's not even like a whale person like us. What? Yeah, That's she's unfair. In, yeah, she's in Tahiti swimming with humpbacks. So, I don't know. Obviously, like... she is able to fly. 
part of me is also like the social like for me it's like the guilt part like I don't want to unnecessarily move around right now while the world is battling a pandemic and like just at be a factor adding too. you know like I feel like that's oh, yeah. socially irresponsible so I'm just like I'm just gonna be here and work and try and not interact with too many people and just not really go anywhere that's my strategy too yeah I still have my EU residency, so, like, I could if I wanted to, but, I mean, and also, I feel like I had to come back to the U.S. because what is this dumpster fire that we are now wading oh. through? I mean, it's insane. Gotta yeah. go down with the ship, so that's why I'm back here. <laughs> <laughs> you are one of the few that I think is willing to come home and go down with the ship. <laughs> well, I was like, what? America? And I'm like, in Denmark, so I'm like... I have free healthcare here. That's really nice. And then it was just like, okay, things are just going wrong. And I, I don't know. I feel like you want to relate and emote with other people that are going through the same experience. And like these Danish people are like, what, you're president? I'm like, I did not vote for Trump. I submitted an absentee ballot because I was sailing on the freaking Pacific Ocean. And I went through pains to do that. And yet he still won. So, you know what? I'm back here now. Well, popular <laughs> vote-wise, you did win. So your your vote did matter, but that's, you know, not how the political system works in its entirety in the United States. So. Of course. Of course. <laughs> anyway, going so, down with the ship now. Yeah, here we are. Well, okay, so we have one last ship story for to hear from you, though, other okay. than the dumpster fire we're all together for. But... Um, <laughs> You did the expedition, how, what, do they call it like X-Expedition? How do they, what do they call it? They actually call it X-Expedition, like you said. And I didn't know that either when I joined. I was like, expedition. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the all-female expedition thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I saw that. They, they got to the um, Polynesian area and then it kind of shut down. I think they stopped in... Marquesas? I don't remember. But they had to shut down because of COVID, too, obviously. They didn't finish their Around the World. Um, that was an awesome trip. So that was last... This time last year, I was preparing to go. I went to Portugal, the Azores, which are really beautiful islands. And then we sailed 13 women um, from the Azores to Antigua. And that took 16 days. And along the way, we were taking various samples of seawater and um, sediment when it was shallow, looking for plastic. And the whole purpose of the trip was to bring attention to the issue that the female body, we have a lot of weird hormones. I mean, males and females have weird hormones in their bodies, but female hormones tend to be, it seems, are more affected by plastic pollution and the fact that we might pass down these chemicals to children if we choose to have children our hormones might be altered, like our ability to reproduce, but also our metabolisms and whatnot could be affected by plastic more so possibly than men. A lot of this is um, very understudied because it's hard to isolate the effects of one substance when we're surrounded by chemicals literally everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. um, I was just thinking this the other day, walking the dog, like exhaust from cars, smoking from cigarettes, like pollution from... Um, pesticides on lawns like we are literally you know in our food too like we're eating food that has like weird pfoas and different acronym chemicals in it um so the trip though like obviously we know plastic is a problem we know it has these hormone disrupting chemicals in it 
obviously it's doing something that's not great for us. So it shouldn't be, you know, a fact of ma- ma- measuring the magnitude. It should be like, okay, we have to bring attention. So like these trips, I don't want to call them like show ponies, but they're basically opportunities for us to demonstrate the scale and the magnitude of this issue and like do something really cool that like people will talk about and hopefully, you know, imagine in their minds, like, okay, this is a possible, this is possible. Like we should preserve the beauty of the ocean before it disappears because it's, we might be all being poisoned to death. Like it's really scary. So that was why it was all women. Um, I thought it was really like possibly going to be a terrible experience going into it because like, I have some awesome female friends, including Caitlin. Um, but a lot of my friends are guys because like sometimes they're easier to deal with. Um, <laughs> but out at sea, like, okay, I don't want to say everyone cause there was a person who was problematic, but the whole, pretty much the whole crew like was so cohesive and just really fun. And we actually have a group chat on, um, WhatsApp and we like talk every single day still. Oh, like it's so cool. Um, yeah. So I thought that was amazing. I also thought it was like a huge undertaking to sail a boat across the world with all women. Um, but we're proving that we're like super tough and the captain, the first mate and crew member, um, Anna, Maggie and Sophie, like they were just super badass and like very inspiring. So yeah, I love being in touch with them and I'm so glad that we all connected and I hope to go again soon. It was like a process of auditioning, I guess, to be on the trip. So I like never forget, I made this video where I put like all of my foul weather gear on in my apartment that I was living with a roommate. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, Reggie, get out. And I closed the door on her because I was like filming it for like the 50,000th time because I like kept stumbling over my words. And then I'm like wearing a rain jacket and like headlamp. And I'm just like, oh my God, what is this? Boots and like my pants. Yeah. So it was really entertaining. And I guess they liked my imagination. So I told them I was ready to be out at sea. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, I have the clothes for the job. Pick me. I literally jumped into the frame, like very melodramatically, like, I'm ready. Like, take me. Um, so that was fun. The whole thing was fun. Yeah. In so- terms of Oh, sorry. I was going to just add one thing in terms of the plastic in the Atlantic. It was a serious problem. And it also suggested like the gyre in the Atlantic, while not as terrible as the Pacific, is also a significant problem. Yeah, that was going to be my question was how did it compare? So. Oh, nice. I was like adding that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because it's like so much of what I've learned is that, especially in Iceland, for example, where we saw that water currents really affected where the plastic went. So you could be sailing and there could be like enormous amount of plastic above you, below you, behind you, whatever. And you might not even know it's there because you're sailing one route. So it's like, you know, the ocean's so vast. Mm -hmm. We have really such a small understanding of this problem. And yet we know that it's big. So, yeah, I mean... We have to, research is important, but I think we've reached a point where we should just do something about it. Yeah. Because we know it's a problem and going out there, like, it's amazing, but we're not going to really learn much more because it's just a complex system. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, not learn much more than what we already need to know as far as policy. Exactly. Oh, yeah. There's so much more to learn. Yeah. But, yeah. 
but what it boils down to like we need to force some changes around here we've got enough evidence we have mountains of evidence already to support that exactly exactly yeah so when you got to antigua um what was the plastic situation like like on land like in the caribbean you know you sometimes see some of the islands it's just like it's horrendous in the near shore environment what was it like when you guys arrived that's a good question uh so antigua because it is so heavily touristed there is a lot of like beach cleanups not by informal groups but mostly by the government who pays people to just like go pick up the trash or like i've seen in thailand i didn't see it in antigua but i'm sure it's it could be happening um is that people literally were hired to sweep sand over debris to like hide it which was like insane and i have a photo of someone in thailand doing that and i was just like what am i watching um so that was interesting but they do have a huge plastic problem i think some resorts seem like they were trying to like we talked earlier about like banning straws and stuff but like some resorts made changes to use paper or bamboo, but not all of them. And there was like a, an overwhelming amount of plastic there. And we have to remember like a lot of these island nations, they quickly run out of space to put their garbage and to have brought plastic to these islands and now have a tourism industry that's like f- fueling the use of like single use plastics where like we want convenience uh, and we share our taste for like this plastic culture. like these people have nowhere to put this stuff. Yeah. Um, so the landfills are overflowing. The trash is pouring into the sea. Like people are dumping it. It's just, it's a horrendous problem. Yeah. So, well, and it seems like they're bearing the burden of other countries trash too. In addition to trying to deal with their own waste management, they just happen to be in a location where the trash from, you know, the open ocean is also coming to them. And so it's like, exactly. it just exacerbates the problem. Exactly. Slater, you're muted. <laughs> you don't want to know what I said. Were you no, bashing like, Antigua? Like other places might end up blaming these islands when realistically it's it's probably our or someone else's tourist industry that's there bringing the plastic and then they have nowhere to put it when they wouldn't have had plastic in the first place. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Freaking you science, nailed it. I'm out. <laughs> that's politics, really. I mean, it's... It's science and it's conservation, but that's also politics, you know, like that. And economics. Yeah. Do you know, I spent today writing in my book about the wealthier nations shipping their trash to smaller islands and other nations, like in Mm -hmm. Southeast Asia. Wow. That is really messed up stuff. (laughs) Well, it's, it's kind of an evolving situation, too, because what was it, two or three years ago? Um, some of the country, the Asian countries that originally were taking our really poor quality plastic um, finally said enough is enough. The, the contamination thresholds that we've set for you, you continue to not meet. So you're sending us contaminated um, recyclables and they're already hard enough to recycle because of the quality of the plastic. And now they're contaminated and all we're doing is disposing of your garbage, basically, because exactly. we Exactly. That was called the national sword policy, which is really weird. But anyway, like what exactly what you said, like now these countries are like putting putting up a boundary or at least saying, you know, please get serious about this or we're not going to take your trash. But yet we still continue to do it. And a lot of governments in these countries are corrupt. And yet they will say something and do something completely different 
as in take the trash, have a better public image. It looks like they're getting serious about the environment. And yet they're exposing, you know, people that are picking waste who are really poor people um, to toxic chemicals and, and, you know, dangerous things like glass and sharp plastic pieces. Like it's not good for anyone. And yet the wealthy nations can actually write off this is recycled plastic. Mm-hmm. if they send it somewhere else to be recycled, which it is not being recycled. So we have to keep that in mind that literally it's been, I think it was 9% of all plastic of like billions of tons of plastic ever made. Only 9% has ever been recycled since 1950. Insane. That is like nothing. And yet like the companies are pushing it on us to be like, you've got to recycle. You're being bad if you don't recycle. And it's like, we put our trash in the recycling bin it might be shipped to Thailand and just be burned because, yeah. and the U S is saying, Oh, it's recycled. And it's like, no, it's definitely not. So we have to stop using plastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because also like, there's a whole like health issue then too. Like now we're sending our plastic to go be burned and have these horrible, like toxic fumes be put out into the population somewhere else. It's not, you know, it's our trash, but it's not our people bearing the burden of the exactly. exposure. Exactly. It's really screwed up. And it's like, the more I learn, the more angry I get. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going down. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's I think go. it's the oil and gas industry. No. Uh, yeah. But that's another thing I, I hope that your listeners know is that, like, we really have to do something about the oil and gas industry because, yeah. first of all, climate change. Second of all, because of climate change and new policies to kind of curb use of gas and oil for transportation, electricity, um, and electric vehicles now being rolled out, my vehicle definitely does not fit the standards of, like, of an emissions-friendly vehicle. I'm sure Caitlin might also agree with her pickup truck. <laughs> But it's surprisingly, it does better than most vehicles in its age class. But yeah, the miles per gallon and the emissions readings off my vehicle personally come off pretty good, which is why I haven't felt super guilty about it yet. But I do walk to work every day. Nice. (laughs) But like, I I don't believe in shaming people for doing this because like, for example, like financially, like I had to buy a beat up pickup truck because I'm 28 and I don't got a lot of money. So (laughs) yeah, uh, like, yeah. And also people who buy food, like imagine not everyone can buy things from a farmer's market every week where it's like, it's extremely expensive. So I don't believe in shaming people. I believe that like we can make choices to like a certain capacity or at, you know, at a certain level, but the oil and gas industry, like they've sold us this idea that like convenience is king and like, we'll be happier if only we have these things and we have this time, if we can eat on the go and do this and that. So it's, you know, it's not really us. It's like, we've been sold this weird culture and we have to do something about it. So taking down the industry is, is key. I agree. I think if you're going to shame anyone, it really should be the corporations because they have the resources and the money to do this better than they do. And they choose not to. And, and our government subsidizes a lot of it. So exactly. I've been listening to this podcast called drilled and it's all about like climate reporting. And it's, it's amazing the oh, amount cool. of work that they do on the reporting. Um, it's very thorough and it's, it's really compelling. And they, the, a lot of what you just said is what they discuss. And it's, 
I recommend it to anybody that wants to learn more about um, oil and gas because they actually are at the top of the culprits behind the plastic industry. They're the ones supplying the raw materials to make plastic. And so it's all, it's all very intertwined and it's exactly. really, really interesting stuff. I wrote that down to listen to drilled. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mentioned so, it. Yeah everybody's been listening to like the mini episodes I did um, when we were in lockdown and stuff. I did mention it a couple times in there too, because it's, mm. it's really, really good. I really like it. And we need to focus on that now. I mean, like, yeah, take down Trump, then oil and gas. I think that's possible. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we got to take a few people down at least. Cause man, this, I can't yeah. believe how many people are profiting off of our crisis. It's bad. It's so bad. And another thing they talked about on Drilled is um, the coronavirus relief money that mm-hmm. went out to corporations and, and to people to help float the economy through this crisis. Oil and gas got several pieces of the package. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> so insane. Like, the people who need it least. Yeah. Why? And they're oh getting gosh. passes on... Um, they're not getting fines or infractions for environmental um, impacts. They're getting permits still processed. Like it's it's amazing. They're just it's like the lady called it like oil and gas Christmas, COVID Christmas right now for the oil oh and my gas. God, industry. getting everything. It's scary. Um, yeah, like capitalizing off of other people's complete destruction of their lives. Great, fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you've mentioned your book a few times. Okay. Do you want to give us a little more of a tease since you're pretty close to being done? I'll do it. Um, So (laughs) I'm not going to read it word for word, but I'll just tell you that in my book, if you choose to read it, which I hope that you do, um, you will get a journey to a way. So this mythical place that we believe that we are throwing our garbage, I kind of hinted at it before. Um, and what you'll take away from my book is that this is actually just a construct of our human imaginations and that there really is no such place as a way. So our whole culture that we've forged towards disposability is a complete lie. And I'll weave that into my, um, adventures across the world. And hopefully you'll meet some really cool people who can tell you more about plastic and also tell you more about what we should do to kind of change our ways. So I hope that was enough of a teaser. (laughs) It's hard because like there's so much in the book and it's like my brain sometimes at the end of the day is just like, whoa. (laughs) What's the the title, Erica? Oh, the title. Oh, gosh. Well, I've changed it a few times. Oh, okay. But (laughs) it's a work in progress still. Okay. The the first one I wanted to call it is The Things You Miss at Sea. Because I learned that the things that you miss at sea are not things at all. Like, I learned that when I did my first trip, because I came back and I was like, wow. Like, I was standing at my kitchen sink in my apartment where I was living when I was doing the sailing trips. And I would stand at the spigot and, like, instead of just, like, turning on the faucet, I started tapping my foot because on the boat we had a foot pump. And, like, you literally had to pump the water. And I was just like, oh, God, like, I'm losing my mind. And, you know, everything out there was just like so simple and and wonderful so I was just like yeah I didn't miss anything out there I missed like people and my dog and like just love I don't know it was just like those kind of things but 
It went through various iterations. Now I would like to call it thicker than water. And that's because plastic is thicker than water. (laughs) I like that. And it's a a play on words. My editor wanted uh, poisonous seas. So that was what the name is on the book deal. But um, you can look for thicker than water. It might undergo another change. You can really never predict what will happen with a book. So <laughs> can you make it an audible book? Like yeah, of course. Oh, Slater, I do have. Audio... can't read. Unfortunately, well, I have an no. audio book. I have an audio book deal, actually. So oh, it's it's nice. it's good. It'll come out both ways right away. So that's exciting. Nice. Are you yeah. planning to narrate, or are they just gonna have someone do it? Well, God, I hope they don't use my voice. At <laughs> all. I have them. Oh, Attenborough would be. Hey, he's cast. <laughs> oh my gosh! Can you imagine if David Attenborough? <laughs> He'd be like, and then we sailed across <laughs> the ocean. Hey, do you see? Do you guys follow him on Instagram yet, or what? See what? Did you follow him on Instagram? No. Do I follow? He's the, he's the fastest following. growing Instagram account since Jennifer Aniston. What? He's, he's I the, don't. He's I, a, he's I the fastest it. person to get to a million followers in one day. Good for him. Plug for David Attenborough. All right. Dude, follow him up. He's doing some cool. He's posting a lot of cool videos. Wait, guys, he just followed me. He just followed me. Are you kidding me? Yes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He just followed me. I didn't know how believable it would be. I would cry. Anyway, I wish he did. Oh, Slater. Maybe he will. Thank you. you. Someone just DM'd me this in San Diego. Look at this. What is it? Look. Is it the beluga Ooh. again? Oh, killer whale. <gasps> wow, nice. Oh, it made it down there. Wait. Yeah. Really? That was we on a fishing boat. Yeah, we haven't seen him since September. Who is it? I want to say September. Who is it? Uh, I don't know the official name we gave it. There was a big old battle about that, but I want to say September was the last time. What Remember, pod we, do you know what pod it is? I forgot. We got. Let me look at my log. Remember, that, Caitlin, that's the one we got messaged on when we were in lockdown, remember? Um, yes. All right. Um, I don't have in my immediate notes the ID number, but it's a a group of transient killer whales that have been seen off of um, California. And I think, have they been seen north? I'm not sure if it's gone... Further north than us. I'm, I'm trying to remember if their pod had been seen before this whale was born, if their pod had been seen off Oregon or something. My friend just sent me, so the guy that sent me this video, because he he's a fisherman, he follows all the fishing accounts. They saw um, killer whales like way out behind, kind of in between San Clemente and Santa Barbara, but like probably 40 miles off of San Clemente or something like that, or 50 miles, I forget, way out there, but they had killer whales. And I don't know which way they're heading, but it, maybe it's these one because it's only been a few days, and so yeah, that's maybe they were really headed cool. maybe they were headed south. Interesting. Both wow. of these fishermen have been with these killer whales in flat, calm water, and they go right next to the boat. Wow. Wow. Lucky. <laughs> you know what's surprising though is like these offshore fishing boats. Like they, I I talked to them, and they really don't see like one. I don't think they're looking for it, but they really don't see whales that much. Like. Mm. I well, saw Erica when you've been sailing across the oceans how often did you encounter whales I feel like it's pretty sparse honestly 
It was very sparse. I mean, in the Pacific, we saw pilot whales a few times, but See, never any. I feel any... like you can encounter dolphins a lot more. Yes, yes, way more dolphins. And then, like in Iceland, we saw a lot of whales, but sperm whale, killer whales, and maybe a minke. But yeah, definitely more dolphins out in the middle of the oceans. Yeah, which are really cool again, too. Fishermen see stuff that we don't get to see, like beaked whales out of nowhere. Ooh. And you're like, oh, okay, cool, dude. I've been only searching my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> what about when you first left on the X expedition out of the Azores? Like, did you see anything up there? We actually had a weird thing where there were a lot of these birds, and now I'm like not remembering which kind of birds they were. I know it's not whales. Um, <laughs> but they called them something funny. I'm going to look it up on Instagram. Um, yeah, I mean, we saw dolphins. It wasn't really anything they spectacular. They have there, right? Yeah. I didn't know that. There was a huge storm, though, because it was on the tail end of a hurricane that had crossed the Atlantic. So it actually was, like, really rough, and we didn't see a ton of wildlife because it was just really weird conditions. Um, but I'm glad we got out there with little trouble. We waited on land, like... We were living on the boat, but we waited in the slip for, like, five days um, before leaving because it was just, like, really dangerous. <laughs> like, huge waves crashing up. Yeah. Oh, Cor- Corey Shearwaters. Oh, um, yeah. And they actually had, like, these signs out that said, like, be aware of these birds because the the lights on the Azores, like, attract them. And they mm-hmm. a lot of them go get wayward and stranded. So, interesting. But, yeah. I mean... We when we neared Antigua, we had like spectacular dolphin sightings. Yeah, that was really really cool. Yeah, once you I mean once you get away from the coastal ecosystem, um, the nutrient load in the ocean is different, and so right. these little pockets of productivity. But you know, overall, it's big stretches of not a lot going on. Yeah, that's what we what we experience. It's crazy. But then there's also, like, the beauty of, like, seeing nothing, like, no life. Oh, we caught two mahi on the Atlantic, which was, like, delicious. Um, (laughs) But, yeah. And also in the the Pacific, we caught, on one trip, we caught eight mahi-mahi. And one of them had plastic in its stomach, Mm -hmm. at least one of them. But we we kept plastic from one of them. Um, And the South Pacific had, I think we caught two tuna, which was kind of neat. So, you know, we we did see some life and we ate them. So When you were catching Dorado, do you, were you like fishing like a kelp patty or do you know? We just threw a line in the water and dragged through. So I can't tell you like oh, where they caught on trolling. the line. We were trolling. They see me trolling. <laughs> <laughs> I know literally on the Pacific, I made up so many songs because it was just like, it's a long time to be on a boat with like, you know, limited things to do. There was no internet. There was no nothing. I mean, the the Danish boat is really primitive. Um, so I actually have in my phone somewhere notes where, like, we made songs. Like, <laughs> they were they were really, like, intensely thought about. So that's always fun, that little cultural side of sailing. Yeah. Yeah, even on the offshore cruise I worked, you know, we were within the first 400 miles of shore, but there were definitely days where, like, 
we didn't really see anything and there'd be you know six eight hours in the day just be looking at water maybe it's wild maybe a bird every once in a while that's it yeah and trash the trash was like the most consistent thing i think exactly and that's scary as hell yeah like okay well it's like i actually drew one time this was really weird like in high school drew a picture of people like in masks but they were in nature and then it was just like plastic was everywhere there were no animals and it's like literally becoming the world and that is a freaky premonition and you i was like high school you erica you knew it like <laughs> no i literally made a drawing like that and it's so freaky and i like i have it at my mom's i have to like put it online somewhere it's so weird it's like creepy so this is what we're doing to ourselves yeah we should think of the whales um well i think that's all the the questions that i had for you i don't know if you have any other parting wisdom or experiences you want to give us wisdom, <laughs> wisdom. did you read any good ocean books while you're out at the ocean oh hell yeah i did so audible? one of them probably <laughs> one of them was called lost at sea and that was by John Ronson. And I think he's like a hilarious British author. I also really love British people. I just find their humor like really entertaining. <laughs> Attenborough. No, he's not British, is he? He's like from <coughs> Scotland. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Lost at Sea is really good. Now I'm looking at my collection. Oh, this, this was so weird. In Hawaii, this surfboard guy gave me a book about surfing. It's called, in, in what is it called? In Search of Captain Zero. Very entertaining. And it was about oh. this like surfer who was on Long Island, New York, where I am now. Went to Costa Rica, went to Hawaii. Whoa. And then I passed it on to my surfer friend, Justin. And now he has it because he steals all of my books. Justin, if you're listening, you're still my <laughs> friend. Um, <laughs> he does. He does. Like, hey, I have I a lot a of part- reviews. It's a great book. I had a party though, and I just remember Justin like left, and he's like, "I took two of your books." I'm like, "You didn't even ask." <laughs> yeah, that's, these are my friends; they're great. Um, no, but that was a good book. Yeah, I and there was another book. I'm looking now. Oh, uh, Marcus Erickson's Junk Raft. That's a good one for the reading on the ocean, and it's about plastic. So he made a raft out of junk, hence the title. And he sailed it across the garbage patch. It was so crazy. You oh. should read it. Okay. Like a, a okay, plain fuselage and, and different junk stuff. Raft. So good. It's on Audible. Two thousand two hundred and twenty-seven reviews. Wow. It's like a on four. Junk raft or lost at sea. The lost at sea one. It's a four and a three-quarter star. I don't know if you'll like it, but I thought it was really entertaining. My brother bought it for me, so I was like happy to read it because he was just like don't get lost at sea and then the rudder and the engine broke and it was like a large chance that we would be lost at sea so <laughs> it was really ironic <laughs> I wouldn't have minded it it was fine we were eating rice and beans and cans of things and it was just like alright here we go <laughs> so but what about provisions for water like how did you guys deal with fresh water did you have like a osmosis system or like Desal or like a bunch of plastic ex- water bottles. Oh, that's what it was. Eric is right. Um, on the X expedition boat, we had no, it literally is. We had um, the desal system on that boat, so we didn't have. We also had water tanks that we filled, 
but on the Danish boat, like they had much smaller tanks. This was like a 54 foot boat. And one of the tanks was leaking. It was like, oh no, um, that's what you get on a really old ship sometimes. So we actually bought like huge gallon jugs of water, which is like extremely wasteful. And they are trying not to do that. But like the way the boat was equipped with water, we like would not have gotten through it any other way. So, but the XX boat, like they really thought it through. Although if the desal breaks, you're, you're screwed. So yeah. Yeah. But anyway. the, X, the XX boat was a little bit, um, had more robust funding sources too, though. Yeah. Like it was a pretty, it was a bit bougier big deal. Yeah. <laughs> they, had, they had freshwater showers. I was not about to let that chance to take a freshwater shower pass up. So every time I had, we had extra water, I was like, I'm going to go take a shower in fresh water and I'm going to feel so nice after I like walk out of the bathroom. Like it was so good. Yeah. That before getting in your bunk is like, it's better than sex. It is. It is. Uh, there's a shower on the boat. I work on too. And it's so to sleep, nice. I usually take a shower and go to sleep. It's the best thing. It's like, if I can look forward to that, that we don't need plastic. We we can like look forward to showers on boats and like <laughs> seeing dolphins. It's just it's the best. I wish everyone could feel the way that we do about the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's my parting wisdom, I think, is like people look around you, like the world is so cool and you should be nerdy about it because you'll appreciate it more. Yeah. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Wow. Don't be afraid to be nerdy and take showers on boats because it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Please, for the sake of your fellow crew members, take a shower on the boat. Oh, yeah, true that. (laughs) For me, it was mostly like a hair situation because I have like really big hair. Right now it's under control, but it can be really scary out there. (laughs) Yeah, I understand. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have the same struggle. Yeah. Meanwhile, Slater and Eric are sitting there like, hmm, can't relate. <laughs> Smooth. I barely have any hair. Yeah. You still have hair. You're I know. hiding it. I just shave it. Nice. Really short. Because it gets out of hand. It gets puffy. Yeah. Oh my but... god. I can't get over your mask and hat tan now that you have your hat off. <laughs> can you see it still? Oh, you can see it. Wait, 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 wait. You do have a hat it's tan like your... too. Wow. Yeah. Yep. What? I'm sorry. I'm working outside. I'm making a terrible face. (laughs) I'll put that on for our Patreon followers. I mean, they'll be able to see behind the scenes. You can can redo it. You can get a nice snapshot of Eric's um, 2020 tan lines. 2020 tan lines. This is the world we're living in. (laughs) All right. Well, um, I think we'll probably wrap it up here. Thank you so much for getting on the podcast with us, Erica. It was so nice to hear from you and um, hear about your experiences. I think it's something, you know, it wasn't very much whale related, but I think it's something that's still really important and and interesting. We don't always get to talk to people that do what you do. So thank you. Thanks to all of you because you, I look about, I look up to each and every one of you like Slater with his photography, Eric with his new to branch hunting 
and Caitlin with her whale whale extraordinaire over here. Like all of you are so cool. So I'm honored to be speaking with you. Yeah, and I'm so glad to see Eric and Slater. It's been fun. Yeah. All got yeah, look, Erica, you got us all back together. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks hey. for that also, Erica. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should we'll make it more that. regular. And Yeah, we'll yeah. try. We'll see what we yeah, can do. Yeah, I just need to find some whales again in my life, and then I'll be talking about them. <laughs> this year has been um, tough in a lot of ways, so... We're getting yeah. through the best we can. Thanks Bye. for coming on here, Erica. It was nice seeing yeah, you. Yeah, thanks, Erica. Thank you. So, Talk thank to you, you too. Yes. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, if you don't follow us on social media, you can find us at Whale Nerds. And if you're interested in getting more behind the scenes content or supporting our work because the podcast is not free for us to produce, um, you can follow us on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash whale nerds. Other than that, thanks so much. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye.